previously on the prompt. We we make something together now, like yeah, a baby. Make some... <laughs> Mike, why do you do you have to end my jokes? <laughs> That's very I'm uh, British of you. Welcome to the prompt, a weekly panel discussion on technology and the culture surrounding Apple and related companies. Welcome back to the world's greatest podcast. It is October the 2nd, 2013, and this is episode number 16. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Michael Hurley. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about, uh, how is my fine British friend today? I am fine, thank you, as I am fine, and I'm fine. Um, we, we're a man down, um, our, our, Co-host Federico Vitici, he has been trapped in a world of ISP pain and has no internet, so he cannot record the show. Well, technically he has internet, but he's at his beach house and doesn't have his microphone uh, with him. Um, he's basically been held hostage by a modem, I think is probably the best way to put it. None of that's made up. There was a fire, apparently. So it's been going off like a week now? It happened like right after the show last week. <laughs> and after like four days, the customer service representative was like, oh yeah, we had a fire at the data center. It's like, <laughs> you don't think my outage and the fact that you had a fire related, like it took you a week to like connect those dots, maybe you shouldn't be an ISP. It's hard to say though. So I think currently Federico is rappelling down the side of an office building um, <laughs> on his way to deal with on the crutches? ISP. <laughs> He is the baddest of all the asses I've ever met, so probably. Wow. But not only do we have... So we, ha- we, we so it's, it's me and you and the NSA, but mm-hmm. there's another person on the line today. We, we were going to have a, a, a correspondent report today from, from this fine gentleman, but I figured since Federico's one, I'm not here, why don't we just invite him to be on the whole show? And that is the one and only Mr. Underscore himself, David Smith. Hello, sir. Hello, guys. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. It's always good to talk to Mr. Smith, and who I will now refer to as underscore for the rest of the episode, because when talking about you, it is what I call you. It's when we when we reference to you, we're like, oh, underscore's released a new app. That's just how you are known. Which happens like every week, it seems like. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a little bit... I think I've cut myself off for the rest of the year. I have to take a break from releasing new apps. Do, do you sleep? Sometimes. What is this l- new little app that you, you've you just launched, a little free app? Uh, the most recent one is a, an app called Pedometer Plus Plus, which just uses the uh, the motion tracking stuff in the iPhone 5S that you the Apple now provides. So it, just, you, it pulls that pedometer data unless you just view it and display it. So how, which is a nice little simple thing. How uh, difficult was that to integrate the M7 stuff? It was very easy. Because I, I, I figured it was, because a, a bu- I've seen a bunch of apps start to get updated now, like these fitness tracking apps. And it seems like it can't be that difficult. They would never be able to get them done that quickly. It's, yeah, no, I mean, Apple basically just gives you a list. You can just ask, you just ask the M7, you know, what, how many steps were taken in this time period, and it tells you, and that's about it. And so then it's just the, from, the hard part is working out a way to meaningfully display that to the user and update it appropriately. But, and the interesting so- thing is, it's collecting that data, even if you don't have any apps that use it, isn't it? Which I found really interesting. So yes. it just popped up and it said, like, you have walked this amount of steps in the last seven days. They're like, oh, iPhone, <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm up to. <laughs> sure. The, the great part of that is that the it's a lot. I've gotten some questions about whether it'll drain your battery. But the reality is it won't drain it any more than it's already doing because it's always doing this no matter what. So it's just it's just part of the you know part of the phone. So there's no extra drain by having an app that takes advantage of it, which is kind of cool. Right. And so so maybe we should back up a second in case there is the one person who doesn't know who you are. Who are you? And what what do you do besides make pedometer plus plus? Oh sure, yeah. I mean I'm an independent iOS developer. Been doing iOS and apps for I think it'll be five years uh, coming up. I think in a week or two. Um, and just sort of it's the way I make my living. It's the you know it's it's where. It's, it's sort of the job I've been doing for a long time now. It's basically since the beginning of the App Store. And so this is, you know, the, the pedometer is just one of the, the most recent, um, the recent, most recent stop in a, a long series of apps I've developed. Give us some of the other apps. What are some of the other apps that have come, come oh, from gosh. the mind of the underscore? Sure. I'd see. I've done, the ones that people would have most known I've done is yeah, an app called Audiobooks, an app called My Recipe Book, an app called Check the Weather. Uh, more recently, I did an app, uh, or a collection of apps, one Feed Wrangler and one Pod Wrangler, which is an RSS client and a podcast cl- uh, client. 
uh, respectively. Um, those are the probably the ones that most people would have heard 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 me from. But I've done dozens of apps over the over the last five years. You're easily one of the busiest developers that I know, simply because you have so many applications in concurrent development. I don't know anybody that has as many apps as you do that you're working on at one time. Yeah, it's it's just it's the only way that I've been able to to make, which we'll get into I think a little bit later. But it's it's the way that I've been able to make a consistent reliable living from the app store is to be able is to diversify out and to be doing different things in different uh, in different in different segments both you know in the store and then also with different business models and different approaches and i found that's having that experience both is helpful for me being able to understand the store pretty well and then also just in terms of it's been really helpful for me to have a consistent income which is you know it's essential given that this is all i do to support my family so one of my favorite things about your uh, recent app, Pod Wrangler, is the very, very handsome screenshots that you uh, that you used for the App Store. Mm-hmm. A very, very colorful and excellent podcast you chose in your uh, screenshots. Well, it's, the, it's the, the world's best podcast, isn't it? World's greatest. Uh-huh. Greatest, yes. sorry. The world's <laughs> greatest podcast. So. I don't really know why greatest is different to best, but it is. There's this a clear distinction. I feel like, like greatest feels more... Um... Like formal, maybe. Well, it's just so um, when the hosts of the other shows that I do, when they say, why do you say that about the prompt? I'm like, I'm not saying it's the best show. It's just the greatest show. There you go. It's purely to stop fighting on 5x5. That's effectively my job now. That's what I do. Is it it officially your job, Mike? Yes. It's on my business cards. Referee. (laughs) Referee. Maybe we should do some follow-up. Follow-up. That sounds like a great idea. So, we would you like to lead with a follow up? I'm just going all over you, or something. That sounds are weird. You, don't, you, don't, mm, don't say that again. Let me put this in the previous clips thing, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so we've we've been speaking about the um, we've been speaking about the iPhones, and I think was it last week we spoke on the iPhone 5s and the iPhone 5c. We've you have both in hand. Um, because you're a crazy person. And we talked about the plastic on the 5C and how it felt not cheap, I guess. And and, and we said something along the lines of, well, it's not organic. Well, we've been corrected. Uh, Lego Mac over on Twitter um, said, not to be pedantic. Okay, parenthetical, if you say not to be pedantic. Pedantic. Thank you. <laughs> That's kind of pedantryception. I was just being pedantic about the way you were saying pedantic. That's interesting. <laughs> it's just annoying people all the way down. <laughs> uh, but polycarbonate is quite organic, according to Lego Mac. It is made of organic polymers. I'm not a scientist, but I'm going to take him at his word because his username is Lego Mac, which are two of my favorite things in the world. But Lego Mac came back with more follow-up he's uh he's leading the charge this week we mm-hmm. spoke about the iphone um having a little bit of a rattle you said your new phone like if you tap the back you can kind of hear a vibration and my five does it as well and underscore i'm not sure if you've noticed this too but like if you turn the phone too quickly or sit it down sometimes you hear like a little movement inside sure and um we talked about maybe how that's the vibrate motor lego mac has a theory that i um Subscribe to this is what what um, what the comment said, and my 4s also has the rattle. I'm pretty sure it's the sleep wake button wiggling, which explains why it's near the camera. So the sleep wake button lives in a little you know a little space it can go down into. It's not very far, um, but I think you may be right. Um, I meant to look and so I sort of failed at the take apart on the like from iFixit from where the vibrate motor is, but I could buy that it's the sleep wake button. Um, so there's that. Yeah, I've had a few people on Twitter over the over the course of the week also say um, that they have the rattle on their 5S and it's more prominent than on their previous phones, which I felt was the case. So, right, they've like obviously changed something, which might it might be I don't know what it, actually I don't know what it could be related to, but who knows? But it's they've clearly they've clearly changed something. Yeah, I didn't notice it on my five until we were talking about. It. Then I was like, oh yeah, I have heard that. It didn't. It never jumped out at me in a year of ownership. So yeah, but th- that was the difference to me. That when I was tapping it on the five, I noticed it, but I noticed it just holding the five S and just moving it around. I could hear a rattle. Yeah. So it's, it's clearly the, uh, more pronounced. It's the uh, M seven. 
it's yeah. probably not, it's probably not the M7. It's a tiny, tiny little gyroscope in the M7 just bouncing around. <laughs> it's a little guy. It's in there. He's like getting knocked around. Um, so we have a little follow-up also about um, our whole conversation last week about Everpix and Dropbox and Bradley Chambers was on and basically made Mike feel like he was a terrible person. I cried so much after last week's episode. That's sadness. Well, that's true. It's not true. Um, so a couple things. Uh, Federico's not here because he's in a fire or at the beach or whatever is happening. <laughs> Repelling uh, down the side of a building. Again, I'm not... It's what sure he's doing. that's really what he's doing. He FaceTimed me before we came on. And I could Did see he? Yep. You see a rope and some glass. Uh-huh, and he's like, watch this, and off he goes. So we, um, my office is on the seventh floor of a building. We're about halfway up this office building. And we have the whole floor. And so three sides of our office are basically just windows. So we have a great view of the downtown area and the river and everything. And I guess every six weeks or so, they have a guy, a window washer come. And it's not like, you know, like in movies and stuff, like the window washer is like this big thing, you know, like the size of a desk. And there's two dudes in it and it has handrails. This guy is like on a rope sitting on like a piece of plywood, right? <laughs> like very like low tech um, setup. And he, he puts like a little orange cones around the bottom of the building. So like it'll be like a little bay of safety for his body to fall into. So anyways, he's cleaning the the windows this week. And of course we're like, Oh yeah, look at the guy. Right. Because like, it's kind of novel, right? Cause like Memphis doesn't have many tall office buildings. And so he's coming around the side and I, I sit one desk in from the window and the girl who sits between me and the, and the window, the guy's out there and she like raises the blinds really quick. And he like jumps back. And I was like, you could have killed him. Like, <laughs> uh, so anyways, I hope, I hope no one rips the blinds open on Federico. Yep. But he's using he's using Everpix. He's really enjoying it. You are now using Dropbox. Is that correct? But before uh, we had another piece of follow up from TJ Luoma, who asked me if I checked out Camera Sync for iOS. It uses geofencing and will back up to multiple locations, and you can choose Dropbox and stuff. I know a couple of people had sent that in actually, so I wanted to mention that it's a iOS app called Camera Sync. But right, so let me give. I I feel like it would be good for me to give everybody an update on my position. (laughs) So all of my seven gigabytes or whatever of photos and videos are in Dropbox now. Um, I haven't yet deleted them from my phone, but that's still to come. Is there any organization yet? I'm going to get to that. Um, I'm now currently using 36% of my of my uh, amazing 78 gigabyte Dropbox account. Um, and friend of the show, Dr. Drang, contacted me after last week's episode um, and asked did me a few did questions. He send you a, did he send you a transcript, like a letter? <laughs> it was... Uh, I was very old. Some men came in the night and they threw me in the back of a van. Um, and I was taken to a place and I was just met by, uh, you know, like when you have like the, the oh, dark oh, oh my God, did, did you like, were you like unveiled in a warehouse and the snowman was there? Exactly. Oh, that is terrifying. And it was like that sort of like, ignore the punch in the microphone. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> <laughs> it, Welcome, Mark. I can see that you are not storing your photos properly. Kind of like wait, that. Wait, is Dr. Drang Bane? Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Mm. We, you have to put a reverse voice changing thing on him to get him on a show. So it makes his voice sound normal again. Interesting. Um, all of that is to say that he contacted me to tell me um, how he is using some scripts that he has written um, to to do basically what Bradley wants to do, like to have like the folders and have them by month and stuff. And he's do created you know, some scripts that I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. So uh, he's created some scripts that does this automatically for him. Now, I I believe Drang was being very nice to me. I think he knows that I'm computer stupid. Um, and he was like, just send me a screenshot of how you have it it's like stored in your Dropbox folder. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I sent him it. And he sent me back this um, huge email, which is written in Markdown. And he's even said to me, <laughs> You can use your favorite Markdown processor to put it in a more readable form. I feel like he he's not trying to patronize me, and I know that he's not. He, But I love that he knows that I'm not very clever when it comes to this <laughs> stuff. So he's like, don't worry about the dashes. 
It's written in something called Markdown. Go here to find out about that. But he's basically said um, that he does. He's written out this all these instructions for me um, on how I can make these scripts work, or I can apparently just run them. Um, I don't know how I do that, but uh, he's given me line by line instructions on how to to do this stuff in terminal or to set some things up and then run these scripts. So I plan to carve out a day because I assume that's probably how long this will take me. Um, and then I will be using some Drang brand scripts to, uh, to, to sort things out for me and uh, to make my photos better. I don't really know how else to put it. No, it seems. So thank you, doctor. Great. And he said that he, apparently he's going to turn this into a post on his website. So sweet. I'm probably just a guinea pig. Probably. I mean, I think I think that's Bradley's thing too. Is like such a massive amount of data, and like you said, like it's ever expanding. Like having an, a system to automate some of that is great. And I think you know I use Hazel for a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. which we've talked about in the in the past. Ed does um, our our little Italian buddy. Um, so I think I think it's great, Mike. I'm I'm really. I'm, once, I'm proud of you. Once I've sorted it out and got the, got it in the f- system that I want, like by using what what Drang has sent me, I will probably then use Hazel too to do the like the yeah you know because that, that's easy. Because I've wanted Hazel for some other stuff, so I just, I've been meaning to get it. Yeah, um, underscore, cool. how do you store your photos? Do you have twenty gigabytes on an iPhone like I do? Um, I did um a while ago. I mean, I get I have kit. It's like as soon as I had kids, my photo library management needs just exploded, and so I have a you know I've had filled filled up my phone for years. I've had you know various other cameras and things, and so I at this point have just kind of a workflow where we have a iMac upstairs that all the photos get sort of sucked into, and then from there get distributed. They get organized there, and they also get distributed out to various backup schemes: Dropbox, Everpix. Uh, backblaze they go all everywhere and so that's just kind of the way that i've i found to do it and i do that the i organize them primarily in lightroom that's that's what i found to work pretty well oh cool i think i'm gonna go over pics as my um as my sort of backup um, yeah option did um underscore you said you have kids now are they are they like hyphens like what? What's the child of an underscore? <laughs> I, I think underscore is a family name, so so I imagine they would just be you know it's like I guess it's underscore the second and uh, miss underscore maybe something like that. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say. Um, so I mean, what what we've been talking about is using Dropbox is the engine behind all this, and um, just a couple days ago, uh, Dropbox was uh, updated, and they've been working with like in the betas, and they've been written some about it um, about making it making this process easier. And so before, like when I left, I was in Aperture, but when I left Aperture, I had it, I scripted it, but I had a lot of exporting to do to get just my files into the, into the finder. Well, the new Dropbox for Mac, it's version 2.4.0, adds an iPhoto importer. So basically it runs this and it kind of sucks the pictures out of iPhoto and drops them uh, into Dropbox. And what's really nice about it is it does some of this organization we've been talking about where it creates subfolders in Dropbox based on event names in iPhoto. So, for instance, and, and Bradley like had a stroke when I told him this, but my wife uses iPhoto uh, on our Mac Mini at home, and so I could set her up with this, and it could just pull it all over, and it still be organized the same way because she has it all in events. And you know, I mean, not to rehash last week, but I really don't like the way iPhoto does that because I mean. And I actually don't do it the way Bradley does it. I have in my photo library folder in my Dropbox, and I'll have a I'll have a screenshot in the show notes. But um, I, I store everything by subject, and so I have like one that's like Allison's birthday parties, or I have Apple hardware, or you know Dennis, which is our cat name, uh, cat's name. And so like, I, I don't quite do it by date. Now my name, my files are named by date, but. The point is there are a lot of different ways to do this and um it's just uh it's a lot of fun. I guess. Unless you're Mike. And it's a bag of hurt. Um yes. so the reason that we had uh, underscore on the show today is because we want to continue our discussion on app store pricing. Um because we definitely didn't fin- finish it last week. We all had more thoughts, but we were running the risk of a seven hour show. 
Um, and there's been a bunch of really smart stuff come out this week, um, including some stuff from the underscore himself. So uh, I want to take a quick break to thank our sponsor um, for the show, and then I want to get into that discussion. So this week, the show is brought to you by the fine folks over at squarespace.com who are the guys that bring you, the guys and gals that bring you the all-in-one platform that make it fast and easy to create your own professional website, blog, online store, online portfolio, basically any site online. They give you all of the tools that you need. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TALLYHO10. So Squarespace are always doing great stuff. They're making sure that their platform, their system is up to date with fantastic new features that keep it bang up to date with all of the changes in the web world. They have beautiful templates and they're always adding more and they're always tweaking them, making them look even better, all professionally designed, fantastic looking templates that make your site really look unique. They don't, the Squarespace sites don't look like Squarespace sites, like other platforms of this type have uh, suffered with that affliction in the past, but Squarespace doesn't have that problem at all. Their sites are really beautiful because they're really clean um, and they let your content do all of the talking, but you're able to tweak them and you can structure the pages exactly how you want with their drag and drop page building system and you can change colors and fonts and all of that fun stuff as you go their their designs have won awards as well from institutions like the webbies and forbes and those guys so you can see it with your eyes but even the professionals think that they look fantastic it's really easy to use, but if you didn't need any help, Squarespace have got an amazing support team. They have 70 employees that are dedicated to customer support, and they offer 24 hours a day, seven days a week support for you. Squarespace doesn't look just great on the outside. It looks great um, behind the scenes as well. All of the, uh, Everywhere that you go to, to maybe fill out content, you want to put a new blog post in, their, their system for doing that looks fantastic. You want to see your stats. They've got charts and graphs and all of that fun stuff. They all look great too. Um, so you're not only will your listeners see something fantastic, you're going to as well when you're managing your website behind the scenes. I want you to go and try this out for yourself. One, because it helps support the show, but also because I think that you will really genuinely like Squarespace if you used any sort of website building tools before, any sort of blogging engines or anything. I think Squarespace will give you all that you need all in one place and just take away a lot of the hassle for you. So you can start a free trial by going to squarespace.com. You don't need any credit card when you sign up. And you'll get 10% off if you use the offer code TALLYHO10 at checkout. That will also help support the prompt and all of 5x5. So thanks so much to Squarespace for their support and for giving you everything that you need to create an exceptional website. So, Underscore. Yes. You wrote a, well, we should say you have a, um, uh, you've got a podcast uh, that you do. You talk about iOS development, Apple underscores and you had you had um the lovely mrs underscore on and talking about um this app store pricing thing that that's kind of been in the news and is it sustainable and should apple have upgrade pricing it's etc etc for people who may have have missed that episode and shame on them for doing that um what what kind of recap what you guys talked about and kind of maybe your thoughts on, on where we stand on this sort of thing um, sure. So yeah. So then this was uh, just uh, a so sort of a, not a typical episode for developing perspective. Um, it's a but it was something that I, th- I sort of just came up uh, naturally in our conversation at home. And so I was talking to my wife um, about the decision that Real Mac Software, who are the makers of Clear, uh, had decided to essentially sort of like backtrack on their pricing approach, where for they released the new version of Clear, which is their to do list manager. Um, that they made it, essentially they made it universal and they made it a separate app and kind of discontinued the old app. Um, and they got a bit of a backlash from that, from people who, you know, essentially didn't want to have to pay again. And my wife's a longtime user of clear. And so when that happened, it was interesting to kind of see, see, see a customer reaction to that from the actual sort of from the customer end rather than from the developer end, which is where I'm, I typically am. 
Um, and it was just interesting to kind of walk through her experience where she saw that and she's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go try use reminders. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go see if that fits my needs um, rather than necessarily paying again. And it, it was interesting to kind of unpack that and to understand a lot of what was going on there it wasn't necessarily um, about the fact that the new app was, I think, $3. It's like, it wasn't about the $3. The thing that I had personally never really got sort of gotten a good handle on was the difference and the degree to which sort of the the fear of making a bad choice or sort of buying something and then regretting it factors into people's decisions in the app store. And that's sort of why that may be part of what's driving at the push towards free, low-priced, in-app purchase-based things um, to kind of avoid that, where it's very difficult to... Because right now, essentially, all you have in the store is you have five you know, five screenshots and a description, and that's all you have as a customer to go on when you're selling your when you're selling your app. And so it's kind of an, an intimidating thing for someone to then you know, put down money, even if it's not necessarily a huge amount of money in absolute terms. But still, it's like you'd still hate to waste that. And so we kind of walked through that a little bit, talked through some of the sort of misconceptions people have about app developers that we all actually don't work for Apple, which is kind of a, a funny thing that I think a lot of people. At least in, in my own experience, a lot, that's a fairly true thing that a lot of people think that I work for Apple when I say I make apps. Um, and then just kind of some other, you know, th- that's pro- those are probably the two biggest points to talk about um, from the actual interview. We talked about some other stuff that I don't think is as relevant to what, what we're hoping to address today. Yeah, like what was for dinner, what weekend plans, that sort of thing. No, exactly. I'm not very funny. I try. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, it, it really was interesting, and and what what struck me about it is, you know, um, my wife is also uh, a clear user. I kind of do a similar thing with her, not not on the air, although maybe we should do that. But it's, it's always good to get a perspective of a of a what's closer to an an average consumer. And what really has struck me about y'all's interview and about what you just said and, and other conversations I've had is that is that you're right. It's not always about the money. Sometimes it is like. Well, I, I invested time in setting this up, and I didn't like it. And I think developers are are sort of treating, to a degree, in that purchase as almost as a way to do a trial. So, like, hey, my app does this thing, but if you need more than five to do items, it's a buck or something. Sure. And I, I just I just wonder what you think about that. Is that a, a reasonable solution to the problem? I, I think it's a solution to the problem, and it's probably good to take a step back and say that. It, a lot of these things around pricing and around price strategies and things you do, they're, they're never going to be – there is no sort of like one rule to rule them all for this where you can like, oh, if you if ever, if you do this and you're an app developer, you're going to be successful and make a great living. That you're always having to adapt to your, your particular customer, customer base, their demographics – what how they're sort of how they're going to browse the store and it's very different in different categories it's very different if you're a game developer versus if you're a, a productivity developer and if you even within a productivity are you doing something that's more geared towards just sort of normal customers or is it a business application and so with all these things that kind of factors into it and i think what what's important what i found as a developer is like things like using in-app purchase to create a trial is a great way to adapt to, to the marketplace, which is ultimately the most important thing. And I've, I found that for myself. Like for some of my applications, free with in-app purchase, essentially as a trial, works a lot better than charging an upfront uh, amount. And a lot of that has to do with you know, it, it's whether someone is able to reasonably judge the quality of the application or the utility of it from a description and some screenshots. If that's a bit more ephemeral, then maybe they need a free within app purchase. And I think being adaptive in that way is, I think, by far the most important thing. I really like um, your the way that you've sort of structured Pod Wrangler. So it's free for anybody that signs that is that pays for Feed Wrangler, which is nineteen dollars a year. Yes. Um, or you can have up to five subscriptions for free if you're not a Feed Wrangler subscriber, but then you can pay $2 via an in-app purchase to unlock the full set of applica- features for the application. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's really interesting because you've got multiple different revenue streams through one application, which is, that's very new, I think, to me, for me to see anyway, from, from an independent developer. I just think that's really interesting because you're clearly trying a couple of things out there. Sure, and I mean, I think... The the advantage that at least this is what I found. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, and what I found is a it's important to try things that you'll never really know what's going to happen unless you try it. And so that's a lot of these things are experiments. Like in Pod Wrangler, what I was interested about is 
I'm trying to build the subscription base with Feed Wrangler as a sync service. And so Pod Wrangler's existence came into, it came into being because I wanted to enhance something that people had already paid for and to make their $19 even more valuable to them, hopefully. And But then I may as well also take advantage of all that code I've just written and all that functionality and see if I can apply it in other ways. And so it's like, okay, well, we'll let's just make it free but limited and see see how that goes and you know so far that's it, it works in, in a lot of ways that you know I, I would i have about even in terms of usership right now it's like about half my people are actually you know feeder english subscribers and about half my people are people who just found the app you know downloaded it for free and are trying it and then you know it's a reasonable but you know small percent percentage of the people are upgrading but all those upgrade revenues is money that i wouldn't have otherwise so it works it works for me and i'm kind of learning from that experience. And I think that that's by far the most valuable part. So one of the things that I found really interesting when listening to uh, that episode of Developing Perspective was the amount of things that Lauren was saying that I was agreeing with, Yeah, which surprised me, made me think that maybe I'm a little bit more of an average consumer than most. And that might be because I've never developed something. But there was one thing that she said that really stuck with me. And it's actually something I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, she says, if I'm going to pay again, I expect there to be new features. Yeah. And that was that's a really, really interesting thing. And that was something that I was concerned about with the run-up to iOS 7, that there were going to be a bunch of apps that just looked different. Yeah. And that you, we'd be paying like through the nose for just apps that have lots of white space and don't really add anything. Um, and on the whole, that hasn't been the case. Um, and a lot of apps have added something. I mean, we were talking about with, with Clear, people that ha- did not use, did not have an iPad would have that feeling. Yes. Um, so I guess that, I, I don't know if, if Lauren has an iPad or uses one, but maybe that could have potentially been part of the, her thinking with this app in question, because it didn't really on the face of it, if you're just an iPhone user, it doesn't add anything for you. Yeah, or it it, and it has to... I, I think, too, there's a, a customer's view on what something new is perhaps slightly different than what a developer would would look at that and say. Where there's a lot of things that we, that I, as a developer, I know are incredibly difficult to do. Like, making an app universal is not just a trivial thing, but I think a lot of people would just kind of look at it superficially and be like, they just made it bigger. Yeah. And that perception is very, like, as much as, 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 a, as much as sort of the developer part of me would want to be to tell that customer, it's like, no, no, you have no idea how hard that mm. was to, to, to make that work. That's ultimately going to be counterproductive for me because the customer is the customer. And I can't talk to every customer who looks at my app in the app store and says, wow, they just made it bigger and they charged me an extra $3. And mm. so, like, I think for, like, in, in that case, I think when I think what Lauren was kind of getting towards is you there, if you're going to charge again, it really needs to feel like something new, like something like there's a compelling reason why this is better and different than the thing that I already have and the thing that I'm already using. And that's often a difficult to, to communicate and b often difficult to do in a way that actually makes sense for the application, because otherwise at some point you're just making a new application entirely um, if you keep adding on more and more features to it. Right, and I think I think it's really interesting, and and Marco had a, had a post as well, and you guys both um, touched on the point that like people think, but because you develop apps, because you have apps in the app store, that you work for Apple, which of course we know is like hilariously untrue, and even is sort of a fallacy just from a logical perspective. But it, I think it really shows like how sort of alien this stuff is again, to that average user, to someone who picks up an iPhone as their first smartphone and it has a store on there and some things are free and some things are purchased. And, and you know, if, if this, if all, if what we're talking about is, is true and, and that the trend is away from paid applications and, you know, I think it probably is, I think maybe it's top of mind right now for a lot of people do, you know, to things like the, the clear situation. Um, then it's like, like Marco said, maybe it's time, time to make other plans. And, you know, guys like, like with what you're doing with, with pod Wrangler are exploring some of those alternatives, but I can't help but think about Android in this conversation. And, you know, a lot of people for a long time, um, 
when comparing Android to iOS. Obviously, there's a lot more money in iOS, even though the ecosystems are, you know, market share, you know, is for all intents and purposes basically the same if, if Android not being ahead in some markets. But there's so much more money to be made on iOS. And a lot of people write that off as, well, Android users don't, for whatever reason, don't spend money on apps. And I, I just wonder if if what's going on with iOS is that same sort of thing, whether it's about who the customers are or about that there's just more customers than ever, and so you're picking up this segment of people that aren't early adopters and don't understand how these things work. Or uh, I don't know. I mean, Mike, you've spent you know a lot of time on Android more more than me. Um, do you have any any thoughts on that? Um, I think you know as I've I've sort of pondered previously about why why is there less money spent on applications, and I think it's just that the Android market. Uh, is very different. Like the general Android market is very different from the uh, iPhone general market. Um, you know that these are sold as upgrade phones for people. You know that are coming off of feature phones or other Android phones that don't really care for applications in the same way. Um, the marketing is very very different, um, and Google's marketing around the Play Store is definitely not there yet. Neither is it as well integrated. A lot of people coming into the uh, iTunes ecosystem had an account of a credit card set up. Huge barrier to entry. Um, massive thing for Apple um, that they had all of that going in. Um, talking about the idea of uh, saying about do you know how I know that you have said this, David and Marcus said it as well about the idea that people think that because that people think you work for Apple, basically. I don't think that that bind is as strong between Google and Android as it is between Apple and iPhone. Um, and I, I would be surprised if people that used Android thought that the developers worked for Google. That would really surprise me. It doesn't surprise me to hear it about Apple, really. Um, but it's just because I think that I think that people, anybody that is partly aware of what android is knows that it's on lo- that it's like quite he- widely distributed across like a bunch of different companies and google so i don't think that they think it all comes from one place as such um it's so difficult to understand the android market really because it's to say that they don't buy apps they do it's just a different percentage it's just a, it's just a very different marketplace and i think that it the ecosystem sort of dug itself into a hole for a while and now people that use android are expecting expectant of free where apple was very much for paying for applications right from day one i think that that's kind of the problem that is in now so um dan council of real mac had another uh great blog post today on their site and he's talking about the mac app store so the Mac App Store is obviously another app store. Yeah, I think I remember that one. Oh, well, the that Mac App Store. Yeah. Apparently it's still I around. It was, I thought it was dead. I only know about it because um, I get told about every 15 minutes that I have updates. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely nothing I can do to stop that happening except install the updates. Um, that gets so, better in Mavericks. Spoiler alert. Good, good. So... Um, one, so basically, the gist of the post is he's talking about um, their release of their app Ember onto the Mac App Store. Um, and he's talking about the successes that they've had on the Mac App Store and saying that it was really great for them. They were featured and they got into the top 10. But one of the things that he was noticing because of deals and promotions that they had done on previous applications, like the app that it replaced, which is called Little Snapper, where they would do like... Um, like they would reduce the price to $5 for a weekend, that sort of stuff, you know, promos. He was noticing that customers were saying that they would just wanted to wait for Ember to go on sale rather than buy it at full price because it's relatively expensive in the App Store world, not in the old store, not in like the software world, but in the App Store world. It's like $50 or something, which is obviously not a lot of money for a Mac app, but it it's probably in a high percentage, a high percentile on the App Store. 
mm-hmm. uh, because everybody yeah. dropped their prices. Yeah, it so, is. So he's saying that um, promos and discounts have had a detrimental effect on their business as a whole on the Mac App Store. And this is a quote from the article. We're not going to devalue our Mac apps by putting them on sale. We're going to ask for a fair price that ensures we can keep on building the apps you love. So they basically they have said that they will no longer give any discounts or promos on any of their apps in the Mac App Store, which is a very strong stance that they've taken. And I applaud it because it, they're definitely going to be bucking the trend on this. And I would probably posit that a lot of developers will not follow suit, um, even though maybe they should. Um, but I just think that this is a real strong take. Underscore, what do you think about this? It, it's, it is a, definitely a complicated uh, sort of question for, and, and, and I think so much of this has to do with kind of like, like the free market nature of an app store, which is maybe a bit, a bit grandiose, but is the difficulty that I'm sure real Mac and everyone else is facing is that there is such tremendous competition in the app stores, iOS, especially the Mac app store to a lesser degree, but still to some degree. And that the difficulty that you have is when you start competing with more and more people, there's just a natural sort of downward pressure on price. There's just sort of, there's more supply. And if, and if the demand stays the same, then that's just going to have a natural downward feel on, on, you know, on price. And so what they were doing before is they were saying, well, we're going to we're going to sort of set our price high and then we'll periodically put it on sale in the hopes of sort of capturing more price sensitive segments of the market. And over time what that did is that drove ex- sort of expectations across the board to whatever the new I guess you could say like the, the new average price that people are starting to expect that the you know that software isn't actually worth the $20 or whatever it's it's sort of its list price is they they start in their head thinking of that that software to be cheaper and cheaper and if they go to an app you know website like app shopper or one of these many kind of sites that lets you look for price changes and things you can pretty easily see if an app is something that typically goes on sale or not and so they were taking advantage of that and my guess is they would have you know they wouldn't have done it the second third or fourth time when they put an app on sale if it hadn't been productive if it hadn't been driving more revenue not just more sales but actually more revenue than they were they were doing without it um, but i think as someone who look i imagine they look at themselves as sort of their trying to be more of a premium brand they're trying to be an, an app developer who makes very high quality applications mm-hmm. that one of the few things they can sort of do in some ways is to differentiate themselves is on price and so if they can sort of essentially say we're a 20 dollar app and we'll always be a 20 dollar app you know you know i don't think tiffany's ever has sales if you think about it. even apple like apple hardly ever has anything on sale right. and i think that having that kind of a mentality is you're you're you're, you're taking the gamble that you'll be able to build that that premium brand and that premium premium kind of um, expectation in your customers so that they'll just be fine with that. And they'll know that, oh, it's a real Mac software app. I'm just going to get it. It's I know it's $20, but I know what I'm getting and I know it's going to be good. And that's certainly, it's 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 a bit of a gamble, but I think it, it certainly makes sense in the in, in for you to, for someone to try and to see. And I guess the reality is if they find that it never works, that, well, then they'll, they, they can change their policy. And I think the reality is, I think it'll probably in the Mac app store, just like, my gut says it'll do well for them. I'm not sure that would work quite as well on iOS. Um, but I do know if generally jumping prices up and down a lot is never going to be good for customers. That just is always going to annoy the people who bought it at the higher price. So it's like gradually lowering prices sometimes makes sense, but generally jumping up and down doesn't make a lot of sense. So um, underscore, what what do you think is the future of app pricing? Like when you think about this stuff, are we looking at low prices up front, uh, free within app purchasing, um, or high prices, less customers, free updates, that sort of stuff? Do you, what do you think about that? Um, I mean, I think certainly it's probably fair to say my, my, my expertise is mostly on iOS. And so what happens in the Mac app store is I think a, a slightly different beast. But I think on iOS, where I'll answer your question, um, I think generally there's, there is, as a, there is a, and it sort of has always been, a, a low, generally downward pressure on indiv- on i guess uh, item pricing in the store that especially from an upfront perspective i think the nature of having what is, i think it's whatever about a million apps in the store 
I, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of developers develop, developing those apps. The, that incredible competition that, you know, I, I think I remember kind of ironically with, I think it was the Clear did a promo video for their app, uh, put it out, showed it a week before it was going to launch. And between the time that the promo video had gone out and it was ready to launch the next week, someone had already submitted and had approved a copycat app for the app, <laughs> which is, was, is it's kind of a, a random little story. And Apple ended up pulling it from the store um, sort of as a copyright kind of infringement situation. But the reality of that I thought was interesting is that there is just tremendous competition and that the things that helped um, app developers kind of be, I wouldn't say lazy, but it, it, it was much more straightforward um, but previously, because the cost to develop applications and distribute them was much higher, the ability to do that was sort of, it was difficult in other ways. That meant that there was a relatively small group of people. And so naturally prices were higher. But this is kind of the new reality we find ourselves in, in the app store, that there's huge numbers of customers. Just, I mean, it's astronomical when you think about, the net, like was, the, you know, 9 million 5Ss or iPhones sold in the first weekend of, an, of a new launch. Like that is an incredible marketplace opportunity. And the reality is there's, a, there's the, the corresponding massive interest from the developers. And so that's just going to drive prices down. And I think the reality is for developers is just to understand that that's where we are. And I don't think that's going to change and go back to like the old days where you could potentially ch- charge more upfront for an application. That customers are more savvy. That customers are more um, have higher expectations for an application at a given price point. And that that's just going to drive things down and to just be, as I see it for myself and for like for my own business is that being flexible, trying lots of things, diversifying a portfolio into a variety of different parts, you know, having paid apps, having free apps, having apps that are free within app purchase, having subscription based things is the way to take advantage of this and to kind of capitalize on as broad a segment of that market as we can. But understanding that other than for, for narrower and narrower niches of, of applications, it's unlikely that you're going to have kind of a big upfront price um, without s- sort of something else driving that sale. So I guess really like people need to work out what they need to do to make their apps functionable and usable whilst having different payment structures, like what you have done with Pod Wrangler, which is why I brought it up because it's different. It's not you haven't offered a two. It isn't a two dollar download. I call it the other podcast applications. It's free, and you pay to add more than five subscriptions. So once you're hooked on the application, you're using it every day. You pay for it, and you know obviously it's something that developers need to be thinking of now. Is what is the future of this? Because it's currently it's either not working or now after five years or however long it's been five six years, the wheels are starting to fall off a little bit. Yeah. And I think one thing that's important to probably note is that one of the most important things in general in building an application is trying to understand your customer. And you do that as you're building an application in terms of the way you structure the user experience and the way that you structure the UI and the aesthetics and all those kinds of things. You're trying to understand who your customer is. And I think what a lot of developers struggle with is they can put them, try and put themselves in that mindset when they're building the app. When they're focused in that, you know, they're in Xcode, in Photoshop, they're making the application, they, they can kind of think about their customer, but they struggle taking that leap and trying to put themselves in that customer when that, that customer is sitting in front of their iPhone, you know, sitting on a bus and looking in the app store, browsing around for apps. And I think understanding your customer, understanding their, why, you know, what their motivations are, what things they're going to like, and trying to optimize what we're doing to make our customers happier as a result is just as important in this as it is in making delightful user interfaces. It's, and I think that's a, a, a tricky part of this where I think about like my goal generally is for that. No one who has ever given me money for an application regrets that decision. And so things that I can do to minimize that, which is something like having an app that's free with some limitation with an in-app purchase to unlock, which is basically, you know, it's basically a trial. Um, the people who buy the upgrade, people who give me $2 in pod wrangler, they know what they're getting. It's not, it, they're never going to have spent that $2, open it up. Re- it turns out, oh, that doesn't actually do what I thought it did. Well, that's a bummer. I just wasted $2. And so 
understanding that that's what how, sort of what that you're trying to avoiding that customer bad bad of you know bad experience is an important thing to try and optimize for and i think those are the things that are, it's like you can think of these things in the negative that oh no prices are falling and as a you know it's like we can't sell our software for as much as it used to be we're kind of it's being devalued over time well you could also just say well what we're doing is we're optimizing our pricing and our business models so that you know there's less regret in the app store and I think that's probably a positive thing. And it's more constructive to think in those terms than to just sort of begrudge that, you know, the, the old days are, are no longer with us. Um, and it's kind of one of these things that that mentality, I think, is much more productive. And so that's what I think if I would encourage other developers, like, I think that's where you should be starting to think about. It's like, how can I re- make my customers happier, both in the store and as well as in their actual purchasing experience? I just find this topic so interesting and I feel like I just want to keep talking about it forever. So I feel like it isn't going away yet and I I feel like over the next few weeks we might even have more to say, who knows. But for today, I'm going to put a pin in it. So thank you, Mr. David, underscore David Smith, for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and also not just because you're a stand-up guy but also to have – your opinions on it, I think, uh, to, to be able to speak to a developer on the show who's thinking about this stuff actively and trying out some stuff, um, it's been invaluable to have your opinion. So thank you so much for joining us. It was my pleasure. And just tell people, where can they go to, to find your applications and to find you? Um, to find, the best way to find me is probably on Twitter. I'm underscore David Smith uh, on Twitter. And david-smith.org is my website that has links to all my apps and my podcast and all the various things that I've I, I you know I write from time to time. And if you want to catch up with me or Stephen online, Stephen writes uh, at five twelve pixels dot net. He is at ismh on Twitter, and I am imike i m y k e. Um, you can find the links to everything that we discussed today over at 5x5.tv slash prompt slash 16. Don't forget the prompt has a Twitter account. That's the best place to get feedback. We love that. We all monitor that and check in. So as well as just contacting us, you can also speak to the show. It's underscore the prompt. Um, and I think that's about it. Stephen, do you have anything you want to say to wrap up the show today? I think I'm good. Th- thanks so much for joining us, man. My pleasure. And uh, thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye. Adios. Bye.